Welcome to The Big Interview. The Big Interview from the Customer Experience Foundation is our weekly podcast where we talk to the people at the sharp end of CX and contact centers, the movers and the shakers, the innovators, the disruptors, and the people delivering in the real world who share their personal stories of their journey through our industry. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Graham Graham. Graham is a CX professional with over 25 years experience helping organizations to delight their customers, is currently Chief Revenue Officer at HGS. Having held a variety of roles throughout his career, Graham has extensive experience in client management and business development. This is underpinned by his specialist operational knowledge that has been developed throughout his journey within the contact center environment, working across frontline management and support roles. Graham has been part of the HGS team since 2017, where he started his role as Business Development Director. Since then, as his passion for helping clients to discover CX as a differentiator has grown, so has his position in the business. Graham now sits on the executive team at HGS and is responsible for sales, client success, projects and marketing for the European business. Graham, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Keith. Delighted to be here. Okay, so talk us through your current role. How's how things at HGS in the world of outsourcing? Oh, look, um, you know, we're, we're coming off the back of uh, our, our best year ever as a, as a global CXO business. Um, and on the backdrop of a pandemic, you know, you know, it's it's been fantastic performance for the business over what is very, very challenging periods. I mean, my role, as uh, the title might suggest, is very much focused around generating revenue. Um, that's within new clients and also within our existing client base. And the best way to do that is by doing the right things for, for the customer. And, and that's what we've been focusing on over the, the five years that I've been with the organisation, but on the 40 years that the organisation has, has been present in various guises. And, and what are the current challenges that, uh, that you've had over the, the four years you've been with HES? Well, look, over the last four and a bit years, I think that the biggest challenge that I had when I came into the business was that the HGS brand was relatively unknown. Um, it's, a, it's a business that's been around for a number of years, but in terms of the recognition, especially in the UK marketplace, was very, very low. So that's been a, a challenge, and it's, it's a constant challenge, to be quite honest with you, Keith, to ensure that you remain relevant, that people understand your business, what you do, how you can add value to their organisation. So, you know, that's something that I inherited when I joined the business, and it's something that I will continue to deal with to the very last day that I'm with the business, I'm sure. Um, in terms of challenges that we've seen over the last 18 months, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear it's been very much focused around, you know, what's happened on the back of the pandemic. It's been an incredibly tough time. It's been an incredibly tough time for our industries. It has been for, for all industries. And we've had to react 
Um, and to a certain extent, we have been lucky. And I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but, you know, in terms of our client base, we've been relatively unaffected by COVID. And I mean that in terms of the fact that business as normal has had to continue. You know, we haven't done a lot of work historically in, in spaces such as travel, tourism and uh, high street retail. You know, and those are the sectors that clearly have been hit most hard by the by the pandemic. But, um, you know, we're now coming to the end of that um, 15 month period. And, you know, we're now all looking at what the future of our industry looks like. And I think that is now going to be the, the sole biggest challenge. And it's going to be a challenge for HGS. It's going to be a challenge for all of our clients. And it's going to be a challenge for all of those businesses that we don't work for, Keith, in terms of, you know, what does the future have in store? You know, is there a COVID-22 waiting around the corner for us? Um, what do we do with our employees? How do we ensure we retain the engagement to keep them safe and secure? You know, there's there's a there's a big big um, question that needs to be answered, and um, I think we've all got crystal balls, but none of us truly know what the future is going to hold in store for us. Very very interesting. And what would some of the most recent achievements be that you're most proud of? Um, to look, I think personally, it's to have spent the last 15 months working from home. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a social creature. I like to travel. I like to spend time with people. Um, and in my role, actually, it's really important to spend time with, with, with people as well. You know, but for the last 15 months, like the majority, I've had to do it all from from my office, surrounded by my family and four kids and, you know, an endless stream of delivery drivers coming and ringing the doorbell. And, you know, it's been challenging. And, um, you know, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I can safely say that I have navigated through those 15 months with uh, most of my sanity in check. Um I think from a business perspective, it's got to be around the way that, that we as, a, as an industry and as HGS as a business have reacted to, to COVID and ensured that we've been able to keep our employees safe and secure and continuing to earn over, over the period. Um, you know, if I, if I go back, what, 18 months just before this um, pandemic hit, you know, less than 1% of our UK business was working from home. It was an exception, not a rule. And then come the end of March, you know, we had to move pretty much everybody into home working. And, you know, it was helped by some of the decisions that we'd, we'd made prior to that. The move to the cloud, all of our infrastructure um, is cloud based. So that made that from a technology perspective somewhat easier. But you're still dealing with people, people whose homes might not be the right environment to, to work from, who don't have the right equipment at home, who might be frightened about the implications of not being able to work from home and all of that. You know, so, you know. I've been really pleased by what we as a business have been able to achieve, what the the employees, our colleagues have been able to deliver, and also what we've been able to do collaboratively with our partners and with our clients as well. You know, because this this could have been much more difficult than it actually turned out to be. Um, so for that, I'm I'm grateful and delighted. And you've been in this sector for quite a while. Um, Talk us through how you've seen it change, not just with the pandemic, but also prior, particularly with in terms of what clients want. You know how how clients' needs and wants and expectations changed over the last few years, and and how do you see that adapting in the future? So, I, mean, I, I don't think the industry necessarily has changed dramatically. Um, I still think the focus is very much around delivering the right outcomes. Um, for, for consumers, irrespective of, you know, what 
type of brand they're interacting with. It's about doing the best that you possibly can. Now, what has happened, obviously, over the last decade or so is technology has taken more of a uh, role um, rather than it being an enabler. It's perhaps been driving some of the changes that we've seen in our, our industry that's been incredibly exciting. Um, the use of AI, the implementation of bots, all of the analytics work that can be done on the back end to provide more insight in terms of what is driving dissatisfaction. I think all of that has, you know, obviously evolved quite dramatically over the, the last kind of five to 10 years. Um, but fundamentally, as I said, I don't think things have changed. It's about delivering a great experience for consumers. Uh, what has changed, obviously, is what consumers expect and what they see as a, as a great experience, you know. Um, effort, the speed of resolution, the ability to engage with the brand at a time that's convenient with them, using a channel that is convenient with them. All of those things have, have driven, you know, significant changes and created a number of challenges, I think, for organisations as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And also, um, we've, we've seen uh, quite a big merger in the outsourcing sector over the last two or three weeks. I um, wonder what your perspective is on that and how you think that might adapt the industry and where that leaves some of the mid-sized players? Well, I think from a, from a customer experience outsourcing perspective, the market is quite fragmented anyway. Um, you know, the, the big players only control a, a small percentage of the marketplace. So, you know, I don't think we have a situation where there is a monopoly or oligopoly um, in the marketplace, albeit obviously the, the Cytel and Sykes uh, merger acquisition has created another very, very large player to sit alongside Teleperformance and Concentrics. Is it good for the market? I think it can be good for certain brands. I think those global brands that operate with high volume, that want consistency across all of their marketplaces, that like almost a, a McDonald's experience, if I might call it that. Um, but I still think it. there's a lot of the market open to smaller, more nimble players, of which I class HGS as one. Um, so, you know, I think we will see more acquisitions and more mergers over the coming months and years. Um, I think there will be maybe a couple more larger scale um, organisations created, but I still think there will be enough for all of the market to survive on. And actually, I'm really excited by what's happening, to be quite honest with you, Keith, because I think it creates a lot of opportunities for organisations like us where, you know, potentially brands that are working amongst those those three organisations need want demand something different that want to you know reduce their risk portfolio if you like working with those three large players and therefore will need to look at some of the the mid-tier global providers as an alternative and and that's exactly what we're here to do to offer an alternative you know and we want to work with organizations that that truly care about their customers that do want a bit of a bespoke service that do realize that you're dealing with individuals um and so that's where when we're ready to to take up some of the slack that maybe is created by these acquisitions and mergers. Really interesting. And and where does it go wrong? You know, what what can we what can we learn? You know, where do where does outsourcing as a broad industry get it wrong for clients and the end consumers? But also what's your perspective on where clients sometimes get it wrong with their outsourcers? It's a great question. And I would use one word to describe it, commodity. I think too often um, 
this industry is seen as a commodity industry. Okay, we're not creating widgets. You know, we're creating experiences. We're delivering outcomes, and where an organisation, whether that is the outsourcer or the the buyer, um, drives a process where you are buying a commodity, it creates bad outcomes. Okay, and I think that is the the number one challenge that we have got as an industry. You know, it isn't a commodity. It shouldn't be lowest price. You know, where you're dealing with people, which we still are, technology is a key component, but, you know, what sits behind it is still a large number of people. You know, you shouldn't look at this as being a commodity and comparing apples with apples and lowest price wins. And if you set up contracts like that, you're not going to get what you expect and your consumers are not going to get what they demand. Yeah, I would uh, completely support that. And how did you start in customer service and call centres? Like like a lot of us, you've been in this industry a long time. So uh, how did you get to where you are today? It's been my dream, Keith. Since I was a young boy, I wanted to work in a contact centre. Um, no, I mean, like a lot of people, you know, through a degree of luck, um, I started my contact centre career in Next Directory when I was 15 years old. Um, I got a role thanks to my best friend and his mum who worked at, at Next Directory at the time. Um, and I started working Saturdays and Sundays on the phone doing sales for Next Directory. And you know what? I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, very quickly, I got the opportunity to become a customer service advisor, uh, which I, I embraced with both arms. And then very shortly after that, I became a trainer. Um, I was the youngest trainer in Next Directory's history. And frankly, looking back, I must have been a terrible trainer. Um, but <laughs> you know what? The opportunity was great. They they gave me so much support and development. And it, it was the best baptism to the market I could have hoped for. And in fact, actually, you know, up until the age of 22, I'd always worked in in-house contact centres. So the whole idea of outsourcing was completely and utterly foreign to me. And I, I actually struggled with it to think, why would an organisation give over their most valuable asset, their customer, to somebody else to look after? Surely they should be doing it themselves. Um, you'll be pleased to know over 20 plus years, Keith, I've, I've answered that question for myself now. But back then, yeah, it was a it was an interesting time. But I, I loved it. I absolutely loved working in the contact centre and the opportunity it gave me has been second to none. And, you know, I, I, I meet a lot of the, the new people that join our business. And, you know, I think a lot of people see it as a bit of a stopgap. You know, it's, it's going to be OK for a, for six months. It will get me some experience and then I'll, I'll think about what I really want to do. And people should stop coming into the industry with that thought, because actually there are some fantastic careers in this industry. And you don't need to have degrees and, you know, 15 years of experience to tap into them. You know, and I don't think there are many industries that can offer the same. Um, and also, clearly, when you look at what's happened over the last 15 months, where certain sectors have been decimated by by the pandemic, actually, I think this is a really, really safe bet for people that are coming out of university or coming out of college that are looking for their to start of their careers, because I think it can offer that stability and job opportunity. Yeah, I would uh, completely support that. And uh, what or, or who would you say have been the biggest influences on your life and your career? What, where does this uh, passion come from? Well, I, I think the passion comes from that I'm a terrible consumer, actually, Keith. 
So I am very quick to complain when I don't get what I think I deserve. Um, and I've got a number of stories. I won't share them now, Keith. It's not going to be interesting for your listeners. But uh, yeah, I do like to rant and rave a little bit when uh, when things go wrong and I can see a simple solution and organisations miss it. But in terms of you know what has, has got me to where I am today, you know, I think it's the opportunity that I've been given. You know, at 22 years old, I got an opportunity to join Teleperformance. And it was an opportunity to, uh, the role was international quality manager, but basically it was to manage projects on behalf of the head offices of, of Teleperformance in Paris um, to drive operational efficiencies across, across the globe. I was 22 years old. I moved to Paris. I think they offered me the job because, A, I could speak English. Two, I was available. Three, I'd worked in a call centre before. And four, I was cheap. OK, I'd like to think it was because I was the best candidate out of all of it. But actually, I think it was right place, right time. But, you know, the, the lady that gave me that opportunity was a lady called Brigitte Dubry. And she was such an influence on, on my career, the way that she handled herself, the insight that she was able to provide me with. And albeit, you know, with our, our careers have gone in different directions you know, whenever I, I, I see a name come up, whenever I get a message from her, I'm always very, very quick to respond because she gave me that opportunity when I'm sure many others wouldn't. And, you know, there was a there was a number of people at that time when I was working in the head office that I think has has tailored my career, if you like. I, I worked closely with Daniel Julien back in the day when he was based in Paris, Christophe Allard, who was a CEO of Teleperformance. So they, they really set me up for the career that I've had. But since then, I've worked with some absolutely fantastic people. Um, we probably don't have time to name them all, but you know, I will name a few. Um, and some of them might, might be familiar to you, Keith, and, and may well be listening today. But you know, if, if I think through, I, I worked with Paula Kennedy Garcia and Cormac Toomey when I was at Teletech. Fantastic people. Uh, and no surprise to see where they are today. Um, Alistair Nidra, when I was at Sutherland and then subsequently when I went back for my second stint at, at Teleperformance. A fantastic leader, a great people person. I've learned so much from him in terms of how to engage, how to build relationships. Um and then if I look at where I am today, you know, Adam Foster, our CEO, you know, he came in three months after I joined the business. I was recruited by another CEO. He brought in a lot of people that you've worked with before. And, you know, it's always an unsettling period. You never you never know what these people have got in their minds, what they want to do. And I didn't know Adam prior, you know, but I've built a great relationship with him. I'd, I'd like to say a great friendship. I'll perhaps ask him whether that is the case but you know and I've learned a lot from him over the last four and a half years and he's given me the opportunity to move up into into that sales leadership role and put me as part of the exec as well you know so you know there's, there's many more people that I've worked with over the time that have helped to to, to cultivate me um, but you know they're the ones that stick out but I'm sure I've missed some and I'm sure I'll get text messages from people that say why didn't you mention my so I'll, I'll apologize in advance Keith. <laughs> And um, you touched on that uh, you are a very, um, can be a gr grumpy customer. Are there any companies or that are doing it well? You know, what are they doing that we should know about or could learn from? Um, look, 
uh, the UK CSI came out, didn't they, last week with their list of, of, of top organisations from a customer satisfaction perspective. And, you know, a lot of the usual suspects will be the names that I would call out. You know, I think, you know, I'm a first direct um, customer and I always think the level of service they provide is second to none. And it's no surprise they are at the top of the tree. Um, but at the same time, actually, you do notice a difference when you get handed off to other parts of the first direct business that then move into maybe HSBC. But, you know, I think they do it very, very well. And they they remember that there is a person, you know, and therefore they will try and make that interactive as engaging uh, as possible. So I think that's a very, very good organisation. I love Amazon, you know, the big bad wolf of retail, Amazon, you know, but actually they get it right. They deliver on what consumers need, ease, convenience, good price points, um, very simple to get things resolved if things go wrong. Um, you know, do I want to do all of my um, purchasing from Amazon? Absolutely not. I'd love to support the local community. I'd love to buy more locally. But at the same time, you know, those organizations also need to look at what Amazon's doing and saying, what could I do differently? How can I take some of their best practice and relate it into the world in which I operate it? You know, so, you know, it is interesting when I hear people lambast Amazon, but actually I think they, they get it right most of the time. You've got the likes of Uber, you know, God, I've, I've spent years in London and hailing a taxi was the bane of my life, whether it was 10 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. I mean, Uber has just completely revolutionized things. Um, you know, so these organizations, I think, have done wonders for the whole customer experience and understanding the customer journey. What I would say, however, is that, you know, those organizations, however, when things do go wrong, there are still challenges. You know, where, you know, an Amazon, for example, is very good at relying upon technology and self-serve. Actually, when you have got a serious problem and you want a resolution, it becomes quite challenging at times to speak with somebody to get the right outcome that you're looking for. You know, and you could you could say the same for a number of different organizations, whether it's a mobile provo mobile phone provider, whether it is a media company, a satellite TV company that shall not be named, you know, you, you can find yourself in a perpetual IVR loop or self-help loop that all you want to do is just break out and speak to somebody and you can't. But, you know, I think, you know, most organisations today have the right intentions, don't necessarily deliver the right outcomes, but the intentions are good. Fantastic. Um, Graham, as you know, we always like to ask our guests to reflect and help those coming up through the industry today. So you can go back to being 25 again. What advice would you give to your younger self? Um, I think firstly, trusting yourself. Nobody knows you better than you know yourself. And I think as a young person, you often second guess the decisions that you make and look for direction where perhaps you should be trusting your gut instinct. Um, you're going to make mistakes, learn from them, don't dwell on them, um, which is easier said than, than done. And I think, you know, and I can say this now, um, you know, life's short, you know, make sure what you do makes you happy. Um, don't do it, you know, working on things that you don't enjoy or in places where you don't feel that you're respected or valued. Yeah, I would uh, definitely relate to that. And uh, how do you unwind and escape from it all? So tell us a few things about you that we wouldn't know from looking at your LinkedIn profile. Okay. Um, 
So safe response here is I'm a family man, um, married for the second time, uh, four kids and, and love spending time with, with a wife and family. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's unwinding, mind you, Keith. It's a, it's a, it's a different dynamic, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it. And um, yeah, I wouldn't change anything from that perspective. You know, I love sport. Um, I'm not going to talk about anything that might might have transpired over the last 24 hours. But, you know, I love all sorts of sport, football, cricket, rugby, tennis, golf, hockey. I've played them all. Um, I say to a decent level, my friends would probably say something different. But I have resigned myself to the fact, Keith, that I'm not going to be a professional sportsman. And therefore, I'm more of an armchair uh, viewer now than a than an active participant but I still enjoy golf actually no enjoy is not the right word I still play golf um, and you know I believe golf's a game of 11 holes played over 18 um, and it's always that one shot that makes you believe you've got it um, it's the other 120 that should convince you you don't I think that's absolutely true Graham it's been fascinating having you with us today I hope our listeners have found this as insightful as I have. You can find out lots more about the Customer Experience Foundation at cxfo.org. We thank you for joining us at the Customer Experience Foundation today, and we hope you can join us next time on The Big Interview.